Hi, Filmatics. Thanks for tuning in and coming back for part two with Jude Gerard Press. He has directed and produced and overseen hundreds of hours of broadcast. He's a showrunner, executive producer, director, and writer for Full Throttle Media. He's also, he does sketch, acting, and voiceovers. And his original comedy screenplay, Harry's File, has been awarded multiple winning awards and in particular Grand Jury Prize for Best Screenplay at the Film Invasion Los Angeles International Film Festival. So let's check out some of the shows that he's done. He's done stuff for ABC, CBS, UPN, Fox, PBS, Discovery, Natural Geographic, Sony Pictures, Century, Century Fox, OMG, and Animal Planet, and much, much more. So let's welcome back Gerard uh, Jude Priest. Thank you. Pressed, yeah, no, no worries. Hey, good to be here. This was a, it's a fun interview. Um, yeah, so my I have uh, sort of two entities that I work with. Oh, actually three, because I am a, you know a for hire producer director. So if a company needs a showrunner, I'll do that, which I've done you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of all over the world. I think I've shot overseen projects and six continents and around 90 countries now all but two u.s states i think and uh and then for about eight uh almost eight years i worked for a company out of austin texas which was full throttle um media and uh, i oversaw all of their productions all over the world uh, we did a really cool ongoing project with ferrari in italy so i was going back and forth to italy uh, overseeing and directing this <clears throat> excuse me this project uh about a historic Ferrari uh, boat, actually, that for our Enzo Ferrari had donated the engine to. That was a phenomenal thing where I was going back and forth to Italy numerous times over about a four-year period. Um, and that uh, job wrapped up, which was, again, started out as a two-month gig directing a commercial and went on for about eight years. So it was, <laughs> it was a great gig. Um, and now I'm developing and producing and, and uh um, writing through my own company, which is Lifelike Productions Inc., uh, which has, uh, you know, done done a couple of uh, um, features, uh, uh, run through it, and and a feature doc uh, called Rabbit Hash Center of the Universe, which is a true story about a town that elected a dog as their mayor, which I uh, directed and produced, which was a amazing fun film to do and and uh this town is incredible and the people are incredible and where? it spawned an animal planet special oh where is the town at is it in uh US it's or? called rabbit hash yeah it's rabbit hash kentucky it's uh it's kind of back in the woods uh, across from the ohio river uh, across the river from rising sun indiana which is a big riverboat casino town and and uh, about maybe a half hour from cincinnati uh as the crow flies, if you go straight, I mean, it takes a little longer because you go through all these winding back kind of country woods. But it's a small little town. And in 2003, initially, they uh, had this crazy election where a dog won as mayor. And they've had uh, uh, five mayors since. And uh, I did the original story on the dog, the original dog mayor and then Animal Planet. Uh, liked the film so much, they bought a, uh, um, a special that I did uh, direct and executive produced about uh, a new dog mayor called Mayor Dog um, <laughs> that Ben Stein narrated. And uh, and now they've just elected another dog mayor, uh, Mayor Wilbur. And uh, I still have all the rights to the town and I still own all the IP for the, the dog mayor story. So I'm actually um, working on a couple of projects now that we're looking for funding for. One is a live action feature that's kind of a throwback to what we talked about earlier, the uh, 
the um, you know the escape to witch mountains and stuff where you know dog mayor and the kids of the town save save the town so um uh, that's in development right now and uh um but that's been a you know one of my personal fun projects because just the people are so amazing in that town and have opened their arms to me over the years and you know been very loyal to me in terms of the rights and and any media stuff that's done with them you know and uh, so that was fun um what kind of dogs were, were they you got it everyone's gonna be saying merrily didn't have yeah, dogs. everything the uh, the first uh, dog was a, a black and tan lab uh, uh mutt rather that uh, named uh, goofy so it was mayor goofy um <laughs> um they've had black labs they've had uh you know you 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 name it it's been kind of and it's a real election i mean they run as, as a real election and there'll be humans in the race but just uh uh they said it was going to be like uh like a real election the one with the most money wins so people would put up dollars for votes and it was all to raise money for charity but on the books it's an actual mayoral election and the town council really runs the day-to-day -day stuff but the dog mayor becomes kind of this great spokes dog or spokesperson for all these different events around the county um for women's shelters the, there's a, a phenomenal thing where they started a thing called the pet protection program where they were finding this uh women's shelter out of kentucky was had just you know was finding that women would not leave abusive relationships sometimes because they had pets at home and they feared that the it would be taken out on the pets so they wouldn't leave an abusive situation and this this women's shelter in Kentucky started a thing called the pet protection program where they had a special area where the women could bring their you know pets with them and they saw an increase like sadly you know 98% or whatever the number is and so that that program is starting to be adopted all over the country and and the, the dog mayor was sort of a spokes spokesperson for that you know shelter uh, so there were and there would be dog park openings and different events and you know parades and stuff like that um but yeah it's a, it's just a quirky little piece of americana about you know this great uh these great people these great fun smart brilliant people who you know, if you rush to judgment, come off, you know, may look like hicks or hillbillies, but man, they're some of the smartest, funniest, most charming people I've ever met. Well, that's like really fun. So, so um, following uh, the dog mayor, um, everyone's like, oh, Thursday, your dog, my dog is a husky. She's like, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so we have to talk about, can, do, should we talk about Harry's file next? Your, your award-winning Harry's file? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've written a, a ton of scripts, and and uh, um, there are several projects that uh, you know that I'm very passionate about right now, and are in various stages of development. Uh, um, uh, the first, I optioned the rights to a an incredible memoir, powerful, powerful memoir. I would, I would encourage everybody to read it. It's been called one of the best stories ever written on addiction. It's called uh, The Los Angeles Diaries by James Brown, not the singer, not the football player. And um, and he wrote this powerful memoir about his 40 plus you know, year uh, alcoholism and heroin addiction and all the loss around him. His brother committed suicide, his sister committed suicide, all while they were trying to navigate the Hollywood system and stuff. And it's just a, it's a dark, tragic, 
powerful, powerful piece, but but written with a lot of humor and a lot of hope. And I was able to get the rights to it. And the author and I have become dear friends since. And he's just a brilliant writer. He's got about six or seven novels. And uh, and we've been I've been I adapted it and it won several screenplay awards. And uh, now I'm working to get that uh, turned into a feature again. It always comes down to the funding. Um, but uh, um, with my end game being to direct it and uh, um, the script and the book uh, uh, got a lot of notice and through my connections at the Directors Guild got to meet Steven Soderbergh to, you know, Academy Award winning director and producer. And he really loved the script and the and the uh, book. So he's not a producer on the film, but he's on as a consultant and advisor to me in the project. And so. You know, he's been very helpful over the last few years in terms of, you know, advice and um, trying to get it out to talent and stuff like that if we need be. So we're we're really pushing that now. Uh, I am, you know, along with my company uh, to get that out there and get that made because it's a really powerful piece. And in fact, I'm adapting it right now because so much of that type of film is, is much more likely to get done as a series instead of film right now feature. I'm actually adapting it as a pilot right now as well. Um, then I wrote, uh, this, uh, uh, comedy, uh, sort of fantasy comedy script called Harry's file. Harry's file is in the vein of it's a wonderful life. Heaven can wait groundhog day. Um, and uh, originally it was it was written much more sort of um, broad comedy, physical comedy. And then I, I, I took it and sort of did a rewrite on it and, and made it much more grounded in reality. But still this fantastical situation about, you know, second chances and, and kind of this between heaven and earth um, uh, film. And... Um, decided to submit it and and it just sort of blew up in festivals so it won uh i think it's 15 festivals to date either placed one first second third or uh was an official selection it won the grand jury prize at the uh, uh los angeles film invasion uh, international film festival won the third place best screenplay in the uh, milan film festival uh um it uh Austin Film Festival Best Comedy. It's it's uh, it's uh, Austin Short Film Festival uh, that had a screenplay as a screenplay division, and um, uh, it's gone on to get recognized in, like I said, about fifteen festivals now, and um, out of I think about twenty that I submitted it to. So that's been really nice, and that has a, a producer that uh, um, uh, has gotten a lot of interest in it and has come on board, and we're sort of developing that right now. So hopefully. Uh, you know, some of these things are so cast contingent and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, obviously with COVID, it's been harder to get anything out there. But um, those, you know, those are in various stages of, of development right now. So I feel really good about those. And I wrote a pilot, an animated pilot called Apocalypse Thieves, which is kind of a darkly adult comic take on the apocalypse. The interesting thing about that is, is we started getting crazy fun good pitches at at uh you know all the networks netflix and amazon and whatever but i found that it's uh not the most optimal time in the world to be pitching a show about the apocalypse <laughs> during the actual apocalypse so um so you know it's uh, everybody's kind of like we want to revisit this when COVID is you know in the rearview mirror and uh 
Um, so, um, yes, and then I'm continuing to write. I just finished a script. We're actually in the rewrite phase of it now. Really fun, um, kind of Jumanji type film with a partner, uh, Tom Conkle, who I'm writing a lot with now. I write a lot on my own, and then I write some with partners. I have an action thriller that uh, I'm writing with another partner, uh, and then I have a new uh, series that I'm just starting to write uh, uh, again with Tom, the same partner. And then I have a, a you know I sort of have my list of projects that I want to work on. There's two that I'm will do on my own. Um, but yeah, so writing, particularly in in the COVID era, you know, particularly in the lockdown and all that, this year. While there hasn't been a lot of actual work, you know, so much of my work involves travel, which has been, you know, obviously dead, and 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 uh, being on set, which has been dead. Um, I have sort of used every day to come down and act like it's a regular work day and just write like crazy. I've written uh, two screenplays, two pilots, and a play during the lockdown, and the play which is based on a really uh, amazing little historical event, a little period in time uh, between two um, big, uh, uh, you know, uh, figures in history. Um, I had always, I'd always been fascinated with the story and it's, it's just this about four year period. I can't say much more about it because it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, in pre in development at this point, but it, it where these, two figures became fast friends and then bitter enemies. And I just thought it, it lent itself to this great musical, this great epic sort of Les Mis, wicked sort of musical. And uh, I wrote the treatment and then I wrote the two act play. I'm not a musician. I sing, but I'm not a musician. And so uh, you write the kind of placeholders for what you think the themes of the songs are and suggested lines and all that. And since it's gotten the attention and uh, attachment of a, uh, uh, Tony uh, nominated uh, Broadway producer and uh, his uh, um, and um, a uh, Tony and Grammy uh, winning composer. So that's in active development. We're actually talking about starting to, you know, uh, uh, once the songs are written and stuff to start workshopping that. So that's been very exciting because theater is something that I kind of thought was, you know, in my rearview mirror and, and may not be getting back to uh uh, much, you know, but to have that sort of come back full circle because theater is one of my absolute loves um, and have that be something come out of this idea that I've had for eight or nine years has really been exciting. Wow, you just are doing so much. But um, I want to, um, so we were talking about your screenplays a little bit like, so can we talk about a little, some of your interviews that you've had? Because you've had spectacular yeah. interviews with kings, queens, and, you know, Prince Charles right now, we're hoping that he's okay. You know, we're hoping yes, anyone that's yes. sick in the hospital is you know we're, we're rooting you know praying and sending out good healing thoughts to anyone's family member that can be in the hospital particularly since you have interviewed prince charles can you maybe share that with us right now yeah i mean i did a show i was the supervising producer and uh, uh a director on a show that was centered all around the royals so we were going all over the world uh, it was for a company called my productions and uh uh, I wasn't the creator of that. I was just hired onto that. But we were going all over Europe and all over the world interviewing, you know, the deposed King of Greece uh, and Prince Andrew, Prince Charles, uh, um, different different monarchy. And it was really kind of a look at the day to day in the life of 
of royalty and uh, monarchs and and uh, it was awesome. I mean, you know, the, there's there's some very surreal stuff that comes out of the shoots that I've done. I've been had you know open water experiences doing shark hunts in Bora Bora. Shouldn't I shark hunts, sharks, uh, shark shoots, uh, dives, shark dives. Um, uh, off the coast of Bora Bora, where we were filming, you know, all these sharks, and the boat actually left me. And I've been in, you know, military, in the middle of military coups and bombs going off at airstrips, and you know, it's like these crazy things happen when you're doing these documentary things. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and um, so, and they're often very surreal things. So I remember sitting in this, uh, we were featuring this charity that Prince Charles and Prince Andrew were very heavily involved with, children's charity. And it happened to be my birthday when we were shooting. And I think the exec producer or the show creator or something mentioned it. And uh, and so right in the middle of, you know, we're doing, doing the interview and we're doing this filming and Prince Charles stops and says, you know, and we must wish... Jude pressed a happy birthday and he leads the crowd in a, a round of happy birthday for me. So the, there's these very surreal sort of things that happen. Again, I think I mentioned earlier, it's sort of like getting to go behind the velvet rope, you know, of where you get to kind of go where the public normally doesn't get to go when you're doing these shows and stuff. And, you know, whether it be in a prison or whether it be in a, you know, under ground or in these you know i did a show called secret passages where i got to go in all the you know catacombs of paris where you know all the you've seen pictures of it, the skulls and all that stuff and and different things that you kind of get to go behind the scenes of i worked on the oscars for 10 years so just being involved in that and working with you know i mean I have some for me incredible stories of you know interactions with celebrities getting to hang out at a Jimmy Stewart's house and him making me lunch. And, you know, what there's Jimmy just Stewart all these different. Wait, we got to ask, what'd you make? What'd he make you? We have to ask. He made me a sandwich, sandwich. and <laughs> Peanut butter or uh, tart bologna? <laughs> uh, no, it was a turkey. Jimmy Stewart. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful life. Made you a sandwich. <laughs> All right, guys. So I'm just seeing if we get even until he made me lunch. So Aww. he was a awesome, awesome. I mean, just one of my highlights of my career, you know, saying I got to sit down a couple of times at his house with Jimmy Stewart, Al Pacino, who again, you know, Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, all these things. It's like I, you know, got to talk with him. Uh, uh, I uh, he just won for Scent of a Woman. And typically, if they're nominated or have won, you can't get anywhere near them. And at the Governor's Ball, after we would, I was a, a I mean, I started as a production assistant, and then I kind of was, uh, was a talent liaison where I would work with the celebrities, get them their sides, get them their script, you know, read it through with them, make sure they were where they needed to be, make sure I greeted them so they saw a face that they, rec you know, recognized when they came to the st stage. Um, and... Uh, so we're at the governor's ball after and you're all tuxedoed out and everything. And, and, uh, I, I walk over and, you know, Pacino is just sitting at a table by himself. And usually like, like I said, he can't get around. There's a crush of people wanting to congratulate them and stuff like that. But he's just sitting with his back turned kind of to the party. And I just went over and I, I had wanted to, introduce myself because I had just seen him speak at Paramount a few months earlier 
on a, a film that he did called Looking for Richard, which was about uh, making of an, uh, an American version of Richard III. And I had I, I was in the middle of doing Richard III. I was I had started out playing Buckingham, and then they they had asked me to do Richard uh, when the show got extended. And uh, so I just went over and I kind of put my hand on his shoulder, and he turned around with that big, like charming Pacino smile, and. I just said, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt your dinner. And, and I said, but you know, let me get out of the way first of what a Godfather fan, Serpico, uh, Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon, what a huge fan I am of your work. But I said, what I really want to say is, is I, I, I am doing Richard the Third, And I wanted to tell you how I, I'd been doing Buckingham, but now I'm going to be doing Richard the Third, And I just want to tell you how much you're speaking on looking for Richard influence, you know, was a great class for me. And he just goes, sit down. And we sat there at his table for 35, 40 minutes. And it was the best master acting class ever, but he just loves the process and actors. And he talked about how to approach the role and all this stuff for literally 40, 40 minutes. I had, I had to ultimately finally say, listen, I don't want to keep you anymore. You know, and, and, and uh, he couldn't have been more gracious, and it was the best masterclass in the world. And it's just one of those things I look back on, like you know, these great experiences that you get to have, or that I've gotten to have, and, and many people like me, you know, who do the same sort of stuff that I do, get to have, um, you know, in this business as up and down as it is. You kind of look back on it. I always say I look back on a lot of the stuff I've done in my career with a lot more fondness than when you're in the middle of it. You know, when you're left out in the middle of the ocean after doing a shark dive, it's not that fun. But, you know, 10 years later, when you look back on it and go, wow, I did that. When I say I sat down with Charles Manson and interviewed, it's one of the most bizarre sort of creepy things I've ever done in my career. But you go, wow, not many people get to say they sat down with Charles Manson, you know? So I, I look at those things as kind of a, you know, benchmarks throughout my career of going, okay, I did that. You know, it was like, uh, they're, you know, they're kind of fun stories to tell in retrospect. And, you know, when at the time it was work and it was whatever, but sitting down with Pacino and, you know, who uh, just, you know, couldn't have been more gracious and stuff. You, you get those with, with, you know, celebrities and people you look up to and respect and, those are some of the best moments throughout well, my career. you got to share a you... little bit. What did he say? I was going to say, she didn't ask him what he said. What did he say about acting? Give us a hint. Well, it was just, you know, the big, the big takeaway. And it was, it was just, you cannot get, you know, when you're doing Shakespeare and obviously Richard has these great and Buckingham and all, you know, they have these long monologues. You can't get hung up on the, on the words. It's always with acting. It's about the thought behind the words. You know, and you can't get you can't get hung up on the, you know, da 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 da, da the iambic pentameter or whatever. You still have to have it sound natural, and 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 um, you know, while getting the rhythm of of the the beats of the lines, you still need it to sound natural and conversational. So he really sort of focused on that, and it you know it really kind of came down to, you know, the really focusing on the intention and the thoughts behind the words. And, you know, and that's really kind of what the gist of the conversation was, but it was just this and, you know, and he would go through lines and he would talk about specific things. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal, like I said, masterclass, you know? Well, well, Jude, we have somebody here that wants to talk to you real quick. Oh, okay. Hello, Jude. We want, hey. want to wish you a happy birthday. Can you remind <laughs> us when your birthday is? 
<laughs> when is your birthday? Uh, you yes, know? it's January 19th. Aha. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, you just always prince my bat, my fake fox prince, prince Charles with a female uh, version. To, to that, 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 Very exciting. That sounds like would be so kind to even, um, you know, like someone that's, you, you know, that has like, you know, he's a, he's a king of uh, London, yeah, like yeah, generation. Prince, yeah. So it sounds like they're nice. So, you know, it sounds like some people's nice. People are like, oh, can you, what about Charles Manson? What about him? Any any feedback on that you want to share with our audience? <laughs> yeah, you know, nice. Charles Manson's the one I get asked about the the most probably. And it's it's just fun. It's, I, you know, my, my favorite story for that is that when you're, when you go to the prison, and we'd set it up with the prison, but Manson did not know whether we were coming or not uh, and did not know we were coming. It was, uh, they wouldn't let him know until kind of right before the interview. And they said, you know, it's his decision. If he wants to do it, he can, if he doesn't, he doesn't. And at the time the son of Sam law was in effect. So prisoners could not profit um, from doing any kind of media or interviews or anything like that. They couldn't get recognition for crimes they committed, basically. So we weren't even allowed to video it. We were allowed to record it. And um, and then it could play over an image or something like that. Um, so there's an interesting thing. It was Corcoran Prison up near the... I actually interviewed almost many of the Manson family, Leslie Houghton and Leslie Van Houten and uh, Patricia Krenwinkel. And I think Tex Watson was the only one who, who didn't want to be interviewed for it out of the core Manson family, um, but all in their respective prisons. But um, at Tecron Prison, where Manson was at the California Oregon border, and the warden or the, the rep, you know, comes and sits in the car, and it's about a quarter of a mile to go to the special housing unit, shoe housing unit, where at the time, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, was also in a cell there, um, and it's 50, what they call 50 of the 50 worst criminals in history, you know, and uh, and that, so is that a little scary? You intimidating, or just like oh, it's 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 freaky. I had done a lot of prison shoots and stuff with different. Uh, um, I, I mean, I'll never forget one I was doing in uh, um, for a big show I did on tattooing and piercing and body mod all over the world uh, spent two weeks with aboriginal tribes and maori warriors in new zealand i was doing this prison uh, in america and and it was all about prison tattooing and uh the guard kind of walks me to this outdoor courtyard big fenced in courtyard and he comes in the middle of it and there's you know 20 or 30 matter of fact i do a montage at the beginning of that segment of the show where you know, I asked each one of them what they were in for, and it's, you know, murder, 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 arson, murder, bombing, murder. And, you know, they were gracious and talked to me, and I think, you know, really talked a lot about the subject and the art. The prison tattooing art is beautiful. I mean, some of the artwork is beautiful and very detailed, but but I'm standing there, and the guard <laughs> apparently just decided to leave. And suddenly I look around, and I'm in this, you know, enclosed pen with, you know, 20 convicted killers and stuff. So if they wanted to take me hostage and things like that, you know, there's not much I could have done at that point. Luckily that didn't happen. But, um, but with Manson, the, the, the prison rep got in the car with us. You have to go about a, I don't know, it felt like maybe a quarter of a mile to this uh, shoe housing unit. And we drive up and about halfway, they stopped the car. And it's still one of my favorite 
lines, not not in not at the time, but now looking back on it, it's still one of my favorite lines I've ever been told on any shoot. And it's he kind of leans back on the car and it's me, my camera guy, my audio guy. And we were able to shoot, you know, exteriors in prison. So we had our our camera guy with us. But the rep leans back and he goes, okay, I have to, uh, I just have to give you this uh, speech. Um, California does not negotiate for hostages. If something happens in there, we'll do our best to get you out, but we do not negotiate for hostages. So that's what you're about to drive into when you go into the shoe housing unit. And uh, that's the speech you get, you know, so it's not the most comforting uh, uh, welcome in the world, but but they said, you know, he doesn't know you're coming. We once you we get you in there and get you suited up and everything. They will, um, will ask him if he wants to be interviewed. It'll be totally his choice. Um, and so we got in, and they put you in full Kevlar, full head to toe riot gear, basically. And I'm like, you know, I wonder why that is. You know, why why do I mean you're in a prison? Obviously, you know. Said, so, well, these are 50 of the 50 worst criminals in history and they just have a lot of time to think of ways to to hurt people and he told us you know stories about how they can make a shank out of a plastic milk carton and let it harden over months and it's you know and they'll sharpen it to where it's a it's a, you know it's a knife it's a blade and uh so they put you in riot gear they also say you know they i had two guards around me and walked into this room manson agreed to the interview I'm, they walk me into this room. I have two guards standing next to me and then they put Mance on this table and his feet and his hands are chained to the table and he has two guards around him. And I had asked them later why they needed guards around me. And they said, well, it's really to protect Charles Manson as much as you, that, you know, you could be somebody going in there to get revenge or be a mark. Like if you're the guy that killed Charles Manson in prison, you know, you, like, you know, if you're some crazy person seeking publicity that way, you know, so it's it's in there to protect them as much as it was me. Well, we're going to have to um, go to 